Well, um, I do a podcast called Up All Night with my buddy. He lives in Australia, so he's sleeping right now. Um, a little bit late over there right now. So yeah, I guess so. And hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, late I looked hot there. I looked there earlier because we recorded this morning. We did. Um, my best friend is invisible this morning. Oh, and um, well, morning our time anyway. And I think it was only like fifty nine over there this morning. Oh, that sounds chilly for Australia. You think it's just heat and uh, and kangaroos everywhere? <laughs> he does send me some pretty good spider pictures. I will say, I like getting those. That sounds scary. <laughs> he survived so far. I think he's all right. <laughs> well, how are you doing I mean, today? I'm doing just great. I I'm actually uh, I work till uh, about seven a.m. this morning, so. Oh shit! Um, and uh, but that's fine. Uh, It's um, it worked out fine. I I got up and I actually did a little um, just a little research. I watched uh, Shocker on Shock Street. In case you wanted to talk about that, I know you mentioned that. Yeah, that's definitely what I want to bring up for sure. And I actually sent you a photograph um, (laughs) through Twitter. Yes, I did see it. I I took a look at it before. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's. I think it might be the only photograph I've got uh, of myself on the set of Shocker on Shock Street, Um, and it's uh, of course with the guy who uh, is in the electric chair. Yeah, is the guy uh, my my favorite guy in that scene for sure. (laughs) Episode. If it's okay, I would love to. I mean, uh, with your permission, of course, just share it on like Instagram or Twitter too, if that's okay. Sure, no problem. Okay, awesome. We got quite a quite a little following there that really enjoys our show and, and just loves goosebumps. We did, are you afraid of the dark before we did goosebumps? So we covered every mm-hmm. episode of that and then working through, I think we're on season three right now of goosebumps. So a little bit left. Okay. Great. Yeah. I worked on um, every episode of goosebumps um, between 1995 and I guess it'd be 1998. That's crazy. Um, every single yeah. one of them. Every single one. I was the prop <laughs> master. I was the head of the props department. And, um, you know, I, I think I was kind of in the right place at the right time, but I think I, you know, if I may brag, I was kind of the right Do person it. for the job because, uh, I love the genre of horror. Um, and oddly enough, uh, goosebumps being a sort of a half hour anthology series. I, I was a big fan of, uh, the twilight zone. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the original black and white ones from the 1950s, early sixties, that stuff. Um, when I was a young guy, just kind of really blew me away and scared the Jesus out of me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. I really did. And of course, I show it to people now and they're like, oh, that's not scary. It's like, well, you know, um, there's one. Uh, I think the scariest one for me was this one called The Thousand Year Old Man. Mm-hmm. And it involves a guy who has somehow just never died. He's managed to be alive for a thousand years. And uh, they sort of they know it's him because they look at a photograph, an old Civil War photograph, and they go, "Well, it's got to be him. It's the exact same guy and stuff." Um, and anyway, it ends up with him having this horrible dying scene right at the very end, where he oh. dies and he turns into dust. And I saw that when I was probably about yeah, kind of like picture of Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and it it really scared me. And oh. so I, I thought, well, if they can do that to a young lad, you know, um, then when this came along, I thought, well, you know, this sounds just going to be just like that. It's an anthology, different actors mm-hmm. every week, you know, uh, using this half hour uh, sort of time frame where you have to be pretty concise in your storytelling. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, and then it, it was kind of targeted for kids too, which was, which was another factor. But I, you know, I think that the fact, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of kids and they're like, Whoa, no, it was really scary. It, it, it scared the, the heck out of me. And I'm like, 
there's a lot of stuff we couldn't do. So we didn't make mm -hmm. it violent. You know, we didn't have blood. Uh, nobody actually sort of died on screen. It was all sort of implied and, you know, it just, it was scary monsters and dark uh, shadows. That's what made Goosebumps sort of, uh, you know, uh, watchable on a, on a very sort of wide plateau Absolutely. of, of, uh, of audience. So you could have, you know, um, you know, basically I think it was designed for what, maybe 15 year olds or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you know, kids kids younger than that watched it. So kids older than that watched it too. So it had a nice sort of demographic, I guess they'd say. I agree. Yeah, and then of course, yeah, the Goosebumps books, which were had a cult following. Before, well, I don't know if it's cult at the time, a very big popular following at the time. And just watching that, I mean, I I didn't grow up watching too many Goosebumps episodes. I caught a couple here and there. Um, I watched a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So like our dynamic of the show was like. You know, when we did Are You Afraid of the Dark, I had pretty much watched most of those growing up. Brandon hadn't seen any of them. And then now we switched to Goosebumps and he saw most of those growing up and I didn't see a lot of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, horror anthology for kids is just a lot of a lot of fun. I have a seven year old who's in the other room that we might hear might mm. pop in here. Um, but I watched the episodes with him, too, and he loves them. It's really just a really great gateway for just horror or in general. Yeah, and and you know it's a good point about the books. The books were, I think, fairly popular, and um, you know it, it was a good way to get kids uh, reading. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so a lot of these kids were quite sort of literate already. And I find it interesting that uh, did you read many of the books, by the way? Um, I've read a couple of them growing up because I I grew up in the '90s. Um, I was born in '89. Uh, my brother mm -hmm. had like all of them though. He used to get them. They came in the mail for him all the time. Mm. Um, I read a couple of them. I think he read more than I did. Um, I can't really remember what I read growing up, honestly. <laughs> a lot of other things, I think. I was, I was a, uh, I enjoyed reading myself too. Just not usually goosebumps oh, you're, you're, for some reason. You're a bit younger. Or you're a bit older than my son, uh, and uh, he read, I think, uh, Harry Potter. Uh, I guess yeah. that was yeah. pretty big for me when I was like tenish. I think is one. Yeah kind of it the first movie had, had just come out in 20 or 2001 i think it was so yeah that was pretty much swept my generation yeah and again <laughs> it was it was sort of magical and it involved kids in sort of a special way you know i think you tie that into goosebumps uh as i say and uh, you know the one interesting anecdote i will tell about uh rl stein though is i met him first in 1995 he came up mm -hmm. to do a little promo and, uh, you know, being the author of Goosebumps, I thought, well, that's kind of neat. I have a couple of books. Maybe I'll get him to autograph them. And uh, I, when I asked him for his autograph, uh, I said, do you mind at all if, if I ask you to sign this? He says, no, no, it's, it's still sort of a novelty for me. He said, yeah. I'm still getting used to the fact that people want me to sign things. And I thought, wow, I must have caught him fairly early in his career then for an author to say something like that to you, because I would imagine now. <laughs> everybody wants to get something signed by him their book or whatever and i was just oh, yeah. right, it's the right time so i had a few of them autographed by him i have That's some cool. photographs taken with him mm -hmm. um you know for people that are really into the uh the books and i guess uh the fact that you know I, he wasn't involved creatively in any way but he would show up to do the promos and he we had a a crew photograph taken with him that i that i treasure as well so it's one of these I things like say... you know, so I was going to ask with the um, introductions with uh, R.L. Stein and some of the episodes, most of the two parters, were you the prop master for like the R.L. Stein dummy too? Um, Did you make that? Well, unfortunately, we have to sort of go into responsibilities at this point. So let me get very technical and say that there were three sort of separate 
departments. There was the props department, and that was what I was in charge of. Props basically should be interpreted as something that's uh, touched or handled. Okay. So basically, it's the small stuff. Then there's the sets department, set decoration and set pieces. There's a different lady named Christine McLean, um, and she was responsible for getting those um, elements of the show. And then the monster element were done by a company called um, uh, Fantastic Creations. Gotcha. And okay. so that would definitely have, would have all all the, the all the monsters on every episode of Goosebumps would have been done by a gentleman named Ron Stefanik and and Fantastic Creations. So in this situation, okay. um, yes, it would have been Fantastic Creations. So were you creating more of like the skeleton dog for Ghost Beach? Um, That's right. Like those kind of uh, things, yes. like the Carly um, Beth head bust. Where you make it? Did you make that one? Um, no, we we again we didn't make that. But um, again, Ron uh, Stefanik, uh, being a very astute uh, uh, man, uh, he was manufacturing things that he knew had to be used in Mary in different ways. So for the haunted mask, uh, Carly Beth carries around that mask. I think it's on a pole. That one he quite cleverly made out of a very hard substance um, uh, so that it was it, it had to be carried a lot. And he didn't every other mask that he made uh, that for Carly Beth was made out of a soft sort of uh, foam rubber. Okay. And the, the very challenging thing, I think, in making those masks is that it's really in some ways it's two masks. It's a mask of your face, a casting of it that's on the inside of the mask. So when it goes on, you can smile and make facial expressions and they'll be transferred through to the outside of the mask, which is sculpted to look however you want. Um, so he, he made several of these and he said, I'm going to give you this one because she carries it all the time. And I thought it was a great idea because, as I say, it was hard plastic. But I do have a funny story to tell about that, though, because Timothy Bond, who was the director on that, I have a lot of little small stories that jump out. So, you, you know, she carried that the whole time. And there was one time when, he said, let me have that. And he was, he was demonstrating what she had to do. So she had to go somewhere. She had to stick it in the ground and she had to say something. And he went and he slammed it in the ground and he broke it. <laughs> There's only one of them. The head of it blew right off because the stick was <laughs> against it. And I, I looked at absolute horror. And he just said, you have to fix this now. <laughs> so luckily we had the right glue and um, I glued it in about 10 minutes. And I think the glue job was so well that uh, Ron looked at it the next day and said, no, it's fine. We're not going to make another one. But Amazing. I love that, it. That's, that's the, the, the terrors of in my business as a props master. You never want to have one of anything because it's so easy to lose or damage something. So <laughs> most of the times when we made uh, some props, we would have several made. And a good example of that is uh, the scarab amulet in um, it would be the mummy uh, episode. <clears throat> there are yeah. two of them, and I can't remember which one was which, but there's one particular where there's a scarab amulet that uh, this sort of pharaoh-like woman wears. Yes. And um, anyway, we had to have several of them made up because um, one of them had to be uh, smashable. The mummy gets it, smashes it on the ground. Uh, another one had to be uh, wearable. <laughs> and... Um, I actually still have that scarab amulet because we made awesome. several of them. And it's okay. one of the few things that I sort of managed to uh, skulk off with. Um, <laughs> another thing I have, which I'm quite proud of, uh, is I have, if you've ever seen Terror Tower. I have, yes. Um, there, I have the Executioner's Axe from that. Ooh, um, okay. And uh, it's very well made. It looks like the real thing. And what I used to do is um, I used to bring it out at Halloween. And uh, I love know, that. 
yeah. tell kids that it's my it was my grandfather's who used to chop people's heads off or whatever. <laughs> when we um, were doing uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark, we had DJ McHale on once and we were asking him like, well, what kind of stuff did you get to keep from the show? And one of his, I don't know if you've seen Are You Afraid of the Dark or not. He, there's like a gargoyle mm-hmm. in one episode that he had kept. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he said that it got stolen. But <laughs> I just those kind of fun things. A couple of the questions we have from some fans kind of relate to that. So I I just doing the interviews and hearing the stories and stuff is just the best part. You know, I love doing well, these. You know, I, I, it's good to be able to tell these stories. I mean, I, it's I, you know, it was I started on it 27 years ago, so it was a heck of a long time ago. But I do have a fairly good memory and I still work in the business as a props man so it helps to sort of refresh your memory sometimes you look at something and go oh i did that that way that time and you sort of you use your recollections of the past to help you you know in the present day when you're when you're a props guy but um yeah, yeah there was a lot of interesting stories uh, with with goosebumps um people the, the most common question that i get asked by young ones is is the worms because yes the, i do have one of the questions credits, about the worms yeah, they're uh, they're squirming. They're on a bed, and it's like, well, how did you do that? Well, to tell you the truth, how you get those scenes is it's 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 sort of good and bad. It's <laughs> it's bad in that you you buy worms from a bait shop, and these are you know they've been caught locally in the Toronto area by people. Um, mm-hmm. Toronto's kind of the worm capital of of North America. Well, I know. Worms, I don't I'm know. Not that. sure why. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, people go and they pick worms and then we would get them, but they were in soil. And for those shots, we'd have to literally sit there and pick all the worms out from the soil and just put them in a bucket with just worms. And then to get them to squirm like that, you needed a little bit, uh, you need a little spritzer bottle and uh, mm-hmm. water inside it with just a little bit of salt. Okay. So they were wrapped in the salt them. water. Yeah. They don't like salt. They do not <laughs> like salt. And um, worms. <laughs> it, you know, I should say at this point, it sounds cruel, but here is my story about the worms. Okay. Uh, at that time, I was renting a place up around um, in the north end of Toronto. I was renting a house, and um, I probably had a bucket full of worms that we put all kinds of stuff. And this is in the episode "Go Eat Worms." Yes, yeah. I had so many worms on that, and um, I really realized that they were living animals, and I didn't want to kill them or hurt them. So. Uh, what I did was uh, at the end of that, um, they had thrown them and they were all in stuff. I spent about half an hour in the, that, that day getting everywhere I could. I put it back in the, the bucket. And then mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, a lot of these worms are kind of hurt and they were crawling around with like, you know, dust and, and sawdust and everything. But I, um, I brought them home to my uh, backyard and I dug a hole. I was maybe a foot deep. And I dumped this bucket of worms into that hole and I threw this soil back on and I went to bed because it was like the middle of the night and I was so tired. But I remember the next day I got up and I said, I should go look at that. They're probably just all lying there dead. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of smoothed the soil back and they were all gone. Maybe one or two were dead and the other thousand worms were in my lawn. And for years afterwards, while we still lived there, when it would (laughs) rain, we would get phenomenal amounts of worms and they would be really long and stuff and if you were walking barefoot it was like this sort of horrible thing where you'd feel them start going, pulling away <laughs> under your toes as you walk and that's a true story i often wonder now if there's like you know that's just got a very high unusually high amount of worms at that place still 30 years later or yeah sort of work out so that's what yeah your backyard was the the worm capital for a while there huh <laughs> <laughs> yep, and uh, I also remember that the director on that, he's passed away now, but the director on that episode, the Go Eat Worms, a gentleman named 
Steve DeMarco, and he was a very punk rock guy. He wore uh, a Never Mind the Bullocks uh, Sex Pistols t-shirt. <laughs> he wore uh, leather lederhosen. Um, and he, you know, he was pretty punky guy. And he was so worried about those worms. Like he said to me, Alan, what's happening with these worms? I don't want them yeah. to die and stuff. And if you would have seen him, like with almost like with that sort of punky hairdo and everything, looking like, you know, Billy Idol going, <laughs> I'm really worried about the worms, man. What are you doing with the worms? I'm like, don't worry, Steve. We're going to be okay. They're going to be all right. I make sure they go. True story. Live a long, happy life, right? <laughs> I do have another story about um, the go eat worms, though. And that is that mm-hmm. for that, you know, the, the kids are like sort of being cruel to worms. They're fishing with them. They're putting them on the hooks. The one kid's enjoying it a little too much, I think. Yeah. Um, and then it, the revenge is there's this giant worm that shows up at the end of that episode. Well, let me tell you. When that worm showed up, uh, made by Fantastic Creations, it looked so phallic. It looked like a <laughs> giant penis. And everybody was like, oh, my God, we don't have time to build another one. Like, what are we going to do here? You know, it's, and I remember the, the best line was Steve DeMarco, the director, he said, uh, this is going to be the famous band episode of Goosebumps that we're filming here right now. <laughs> But um, what they did was, uh, I think it was the director of photography said, no, we'll just smear it with like dirt and uh, and mud and stuff and sort of take it down because it's pink and fleshy looking. <laughs> and um, so they finally, uh, yeah, they, you know, and if you didn't look I didn't, to you probably. You didn't no, I don't think mind, we mentioned so. it. And we usually mention yeah. those kind of things. So. Yeah, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. I remember when it first came out, everybody had the same sort of idea. And it's like, oh, my God, this is a little too... Uh, <laughs> Uh, mail. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I do have a couple of questions from okay, some fans go we got it. here. Um, I don't know if they're going to be quite in your wheelhouse. I think um, some of them might be a little bit more, you know, monster based. And I don't have too many of them. That's fine. Were you the one that happened to have made like the other haunted masks by chance, or did you like do any of the mask work? No. Uh, again, that would uh, it'd been uh, fantastic creations, and he had a okay. whole crew of people. And oftentimes those people were also in the suits. Uh, for example, on Shocker on Shock Street, mm-hmm. uh, the chap who is uh, in the electric chair that gets electrocuted, that was one of his people that made them, but he also worked uh, inside of them. You know, it actually takes a lot of special, what's the word? You gotta have, you gotta go somewhere when you're wearing those masks. Cause when they put them into you, they're not coming mm-hmm. off like until lunchtime. And yeah. if, if you're claustrophobic or if you, uh, don't like uh, you having your vision and hearing impaired to that degree. It can really mess you up. And so they tended to get very um, uh, special people to play all those roles uh, because some people would yeah. just freak out and say, I, I want it off. And I saw that happen where they just wanted, they wanted it off. They couldn't I, take it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 have to it. Say, I had to put, <laughs> I put them on a couple of times, but the ones I put on were more sort of Halloween type. The ones that they do where you're acting in, as I say, they stick them to your lips. Yeah. And they're very careful around the eyes. There's a sort of um, an interface where the mask sort of generally sculpts back to nothing. And that area around your eyes, they have to sort of stick it down so that, you know, again, if you're if you're squinching your eyes or something, that they uh, the mask shows that. And also, but you don't want to have that seam. So right around there, they apply a lot of makeup right around your eyes. Um, so I learned a lot about it. And let me say this, Ron and his team and I work really well together. And I think that was really important because 
a lot of the times when they were doing stuff, we were standing as a props department. I had a tool cart that had a hundred things and I made sure it was always really close to where anything was happening. So if he needed something, we were always there to help. And a lot of other times um, I would sort of fight for those guys. Like people would want to say, switch some lights off. And I'd say, you can't turn the lights off. These guys are walking around. They can't see where they're going. Yeah. They need escorting. Um, and I know that Ron, Ron and I became really uh, great friends over that. And, and uh, you know, um, at the time he had a, a shop that was up in the East end of Toronto and he owned all of those suits. He owns everything that he built from Goosebumps. That was part of his rider. It was part of his contract. He built them. They were used on the show, but he maintained possession of them. And he uh-huh. has, he had, he's moved now, but he had this room uh, that you went into and he had everything from Goosebumps there. It was quite amazing. And the only problem with it was that his stuff, it wasn't designed to last for 20, 30 years. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's degrading. It's made out of foam rubber and they would smear the stuff on and make it look sort of wet and stuff. And that was not not the best thing for it. So I think he's had some problems with conservation, but yeah. It was okay. quite a place okay. to go to. Uh, my my daughter, uh, she was terrified of Slappy. <laughs> yeah, she was just so scared of him. So uh, we went to a party one time, and lo and behold, he's got the Slappy dummy sitting there on that. <laughs> That's funny too. I don't know why, but uh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So uh, that that question actually was from Brett, and he wanted to know a little bit more about about Monster Blood too. Now I'm I'm pretty sure when you talked to me on Twitter, you you told me some behind the scenes stuff about working on more Monster Blood and being a little bit confined there, um, <laughs> with the scene where they like do the close up of the of the Monster Blood oozing from underneath like the um, airport seat. Or I'm sorry, the airplane seat or something. But with the Monster Blood, what was it made out of? Um, that would have been a special concoction. It would have been made by uh, Stefanik and his team. Um, I think uh, a, a big part of it was a food thickening agent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty neat stuff where you would just basically add this powder to a liquid. It would give it, it would give this very viscous appearance. And then there would have been a, a type of food coloring in it, but it would, it would have been a type of dye that would have been easy to remove because the problem with a lot of the stuff is if you put it on somebody's hands and it mm-hmm. gets green in the next scene, they might, not have you know they, oh, they might right. not want them to be green and so there was a lot of tests done to make sure that stuff didn't stain too much and um i hearkened back to something that i had read about charlie chaplin funny enough and i hope that they did listen to me i believe they did for some scenes charlie chaplin didn't have a mustache mm-hmm. he wore it as it was just painted on and so the first thing he would do would be apply cold cream to his skin and then basically rub off most of it and then he would apply this and what happens is that when you wipe that off you have the layer of cold cream to remove it mm-hmm. so that's what i could say about uh the monster blood but i do have a few more stories about monster blood absolutely um, go for it uh, the girl that played the stewardess on that we had to soak her uh with uh with water at one point i think it was she's supposed to look slimy but also it was water <laughs> and um, she was quite uh, shapely. Um, and so the funniest thing was that I sat there uh, and I had a, a, a bucket. I was very lightly pouring water over her and it all got soaked up right in her bosom and her brassiere. <laughs> yeah. And she said like, oh, I, I don't know if you should be doing that. 
And anyway, then the director came over, Timothy Bond again, and he said, this is taking way too much time. And he grabbed the bucket, he poured it over her. Uh, it's something I would never have done as a props <laughs> master. We're trying to build a rapport with an actor, but absolutely. The, she was like, oh, it's like, get her in there. And she's kind of like, oh, and they, they filmed it that way. But uh, uh, that, that's, that's the one story I do remember. At the very end of that, we had to have it where there's a, an ant that is like suddenly yeah. 10,000 times normal because of the monster blood. Um, I think the, the second last scene is um, that there's you're down in the hold and you're seeing the monster blood sloshing around. Then you see this, uh, you see this bug. Well, we actually we got an ant and we, um, you know, we we tried to make it, we tried to attach it to a stick, and they're so strong, they're so strong <laughs> mm-hmm. that they kept pulling themselves off of the stick. And I forget how we did it in the end, but um, it, it was one of these things where, like, it was the middle of the night, and we did something with an ad, and it somehow worked. But uh, <laughs> uh, that I remember that 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 blood itself was really slippery, um, like crazy slippery. Like, if it got on the floor, you'd slip, you'd fall right in your butt if it fell on the ground. <laughs> and I remember one time we were doing something where I came in, <clears throat> took two steps, and fall on my butt, and I got up, and people laughed, but they said, "You know, be careful." Another guy came in the room and I said, watch out the, and I got about three words out and he slipped. (laughs) I used to work in a factory that was full of oil. I think I can, I think I can relate a little bit. (laughs) It's kind of a drag when you're not expecting it, but um, yeah, that, um, but yeah. So for monster blood, um, another interesting thing about that one with the airplane set was that I happened to have been on that set previously in a movie called Elvis meets Nixon. Mm -hmm. I believe that that airplane interior was used on that so i was really experienced on that movie set because it wasn't an airplane it was on a sound stage and they built all the interior of that and um yeah i remember that it was uh it was something where we tried to be as authentic as possible right down the little food cart that you, you rolled down the center but the, the problem with that was that to remove the seats which they often had to do for camera position you had mm-hmm. to get in your hands and knees and unscrew them from the floor and move them around and stuff. And yeah, I never um, that. yeah it took days. We were on that uh, airplane. I put it this way. Um, I could have flown to Hawaii and back like five times the amount of time <laughs> I spent on that, that move, that, that airplane interior set over the course of a few days. But um, yep. So that's uh, what I remember about monster blood. Well, Mr. Normal, he wants to know what episode was most memorable for you to work on. Um, and, and, that's a great question. I'd like to, I'd like to point that out. And um, I'll be honest with you. My favorite episode is also the very first episode we ever filmed. And it's one called um, The Girl Who Cried Monster. Oh, I love that episode. Yeah. And I don't know why I love it so much. It might have just because, been because it was the first thing we did and it was very fresh. But I look at it and I go, what's really nice about this is she's just a girl. And mm-hmm. she's just going to the library. And she gets there, and then you don't have to wait more than five minutes before he's like, eyes are sticking out. He's like, yeah, the camera's going all weird and stuff, and the music's playing. It just gets right to the horror. And I like the whole idea of the fact that nobody believes her. Mm-hmm. Nobody believes in her. That uh, you know, the librarian, Mister Mortman, you know, he turns into this giant bug-eyed monster at night, and I believe he actually comes to the house. Mm-hmm. To say, oh no, I'm perfectly normal. Look, everybody. Yeah. Look at me, it's know? a little odd, you know, a little bit aged there just because of like, you know, I, I as a parent, I'm like, I wouldn't want like <laughs> a man coming to my house being like talking to my son through <laughs> a window or like none of that. Maybe what that's was nice is about it was that, you know, that oh, 
a little bit of real life that librarians or... would never do that here he's at their house you know i mean yeah um but that there's there's a lot of stuff i liked about that i do i do have a couple stories about that episode number one was that there was some spiders um, mm-hmm. like tarantulas that were actually in little tanks right next to mr mortman and stuff and we had a guy who was in charge of the spiders but he had to leave because we were filming <laughs> all night mm-hmm. and i remember he came up to me and he said um alan would you um would you mind looking after the spider? I have to go. I have to work in the morning. Would you be able to uh, look after the spider? I'm like, sure, no problem. Show me what you need to know about the spider. So he takes me over to this giant spider. And he says, well, you know, basically when you want to catch him, you just catch him like this. And he sort of goes and catches it. And he grabs it sort of, you know, by its waist. And mm-hmm. and he picks it up. And he says, yeah, there you go. And that's all you're going to have to really do is put it here. And then you have to put it back. And he, and he says, the one thing you know, have only have to worry about is the fangs he flips it over and there's just two <laughs> giant fangs on the thing and i tell you if, if he wouldn't have shown me the fangs i would have been fine but he showed me the fangs i'm like what <laughs> do that? and so luckily my assistant jill bedford who's a, a a soul and a saint she came up and she said oh i'll do it show me and so she did it thankfully because i couldn't have done that um <laughs> Another thing that happened on that episode was he's eating crickets. Yeah, yeah, he's just takes them uh, out of fistful, I think. And so, yeah, <clears> and so we had we had them made out of licorice. They weren't real crickets, but ah, okay, that's we good did to bring know. Some, some crickets, and we were filming it in the a library at U of T. And I remember that a couple of them escaped. <laughs> <laughs> I was picturing that somebody would have gone in the next day, and you're reading your book for university, and you're hearing this. Sort of cricket noise coming. And going, what the hell? And yeah, they say a couple of them got out. So I felt bad about that. But that was the first one we did. I thought that was an excellent episode. Unfortunately, some of the ones that people love, I don't have such high memories of them because they were usually all nighters. Um, they're very stressful. The haunted mask for me was very stressful because um, there was more money put into that episode, I think, than any other episode we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of expectations on that that it was and i think it, it turned out to be true the questions i get asked about the most are the haunted mask yeah um, it, it really stands up it's just it's well done it's well directed and so on um but for me yeah it was a series of all-nighters uh and uh, new stuff uh coming having to be changed and altered and i remember it being uh, being stressed out about it but a great thing happened after season two of goosebumps and that was mm-hmm. that the other, the first director of photography, he retired from the show. Another, another gentleman was brought in named Barry Bridgerson, and he said, "I think the one biggest thing you could do was start filming it day for night, not night for night." In other words, he suggested that these poor kids that were getting out and making them work all night, let's not do that anymore. Let's film it during the day with special lighting techniques and uh, camera techniques, and we'll make day look like night. And so from about season halfway season two and seasons three and four of that show we filmed it during the day mostly okay and uh everybody was much happier it was like 8 30 a.m till about 6 30 p.m every day and that was that's that was good fantastic. that's good especially for the kids i know and um, you can see the difference you can see the difference like i could show you some of the later ones you can see mm-hmm. it in that the way you work it is basically you try to get a lot of contrast uh, so you film with a very bright light and then you sort of underexpose it a bit so that all your shadows turn to black. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you'll see it. I mean, I could definitely point some out, but definitely nothing filmed during the sort of the 
the most uh, popular episodes, seasons ones, with like the Ku Clock, Cuckoo Clock of Doom. Yeah. Um, uh, those are all filmed at night, night for night, and they were grueling. Uh, the the were, uh, werewolf episode on that particular episode, um, everybody got a cold or the flu, oh, or no. some people got um, uh, pneumonia from that. It was going around. I remember that the doctor came in one night and went up to the director of photography and the gaffer and a bunch of them and gave them shots. And uh, and that's because we were outside okay. with a rain effect going water coming down all the time it was the middle of the night you know we're, we've been doing it for months already it was it was it was rough as i say people people don't realize that but there's some very difficult conditions um on that show for sure absolutely yeah i think a lot of people don't really see that um just because it's so well hidden whether it's a set or if it's like working outside or in the swamp or something like people might not know if it's real or not i definitely yeah, don't there's, there's <laughs> another one with there's another one with a mud man I can't remember yeah. what episode that was. That one is a, um, "Can't Scare Me." Yes, they, that was yeah. a giant guy. He was huge, um, and uh, we were filming outside. And while we were filming over lunch, it started to snow. Yes, you can see and that. In that all episode. morning, all morning, it hadn't snowed, and the problem was that it didn't it didn't matter that it was snowing. But over lunch, uh, maybe an inch or two of snow settled on the entire set down by this ravine, and. I didn't know what to do. I was the props guy, but I was tasked with how do you solve this? So I asked them to rent a uh, submersible pump and some fire hose. Mm -hmm. And I literally sprayed down all the vegetation to make it look green again. Cause it literally wouldn't have matched. You can't film something. And then, you know, like some shots are snow on the ground. Some there, there weren't. So I actually have a famous photograph of me sitting there. Um, posing down and it's freezing cold and i wasn't ready for it yeah. and i remember at the end of that i sort of got i you know people were very appreciative of that that they you had to go above and beyond on that show i did okay so i said i was the head of the props department handling all the small stuff however yeah. i moved all the furniture because um there's no what they call on-set dresser in those days nowadays they have a person that's just responsible usually two people for just responsible for moving the sofas but i did that as well Another thing I did was all of the, a lot of the, the uh, special effects. For example, if there's like a torch and a flame on like um, uh, Night at Terror Tower or the mummy episodes, that was me affecting that as well as the smoke machines, say mm -hmm. in like um, um, Camp Nightmare, there's smoke everywhere. There's smoke swirling around. It's supposed to be fog, but after a <laughs> while, it just, it, if you look at that episode, it starts to get a little ridiculous with the amount of smoke that's swirling around at night around the cabins. And the director of that episode, uh, Ron Oliver, that's when I first yeah. really knew this was a special guy. I remember the director of photography came up and he said, uh, I don't like the smoke. It's too saucy. I mean, what is this supposed to be? Says the director said, no, no, I, I like that. We don't know what the smoke is. It's 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 something ethereal. It's something scary. And mm -hmm. no, I, I like the smoke just the way it was. And even I thought, you know, I, I agreed with the director of photography said, but, you know, Ron sort of backed me up. I, I look back at that. That episode, that was the first episode that Ron Oliver directed, by the way. And mm -hmm. we could talk a bit. Uh, we have a sidebar about Ron Oliver because he was very influential. Yeah, I love Ron. We've had him on our that show was, before, too. He was oh, awesome he, to talk to. Yeah, he, he was really uh, instrumental in, in getting that show to be something maybe a little less scary and a little bit more entertaining. Um, mm -hmm. And the very first episode he directed, as far as I can remember, was... Welcome to Camp Night Moon. And the casting he had on some of those 
counselors. They were strange looking dudes. And um, some of the stuff he did, um, I thought afterwards, it's like, uh, what was the name of the, the, the monster on that? Um, uh, Saber. Say Saber, hello yeah. to Saber, Billy. Um, he did stuff on that. It was just very clever and so on. And so that was season one. By season four, he's writing the scripts. Yeah. Um, yeah he's I'm directing to them all. Episodes. Mm-hmm. He was really uh, a big force in that. And, you know, I have to say, um, he did some stuff with kids because there's two ways to work with kids. I mean, these are kids. They're not really even actors. Some of them were, but I think some of them were just cast because they'd done maybe some, you know, theater in high school. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they're they're on this TV series as you know, with a big part in it. So one of the ways to get the effects was to scare the Jesus out of the Jesus. Out. Oh, That's the way. interesting. It's one guy named William Fruitt, who's still around. I still run into. He was an older gentleman. He looked like a biker with a beard, and he would just basically scare the kids. You know, not in a threatening way. He'd be like, no, I need you to look scared. I want your eyes to be big. I want you to be breathing, heavy breathing. And these kids would be like, you would get a reaction from them um, that was quite, uh, uh, what would be the word, kind of shocked and stunned. And terrified looking. And that was kind of the way he worked. And but he was a nice, nice gentleman. No, no complaints about him at all. He directed a lot of them. Ron Oliver worked a different way. Ron Oliver would befriend the kids. And I mm-hmm. thought it was quite special the way he did it. He would come down to their level, he would explain to them what they wanted, what he wanted, and he'd sort of explain why. Because don't forget when you're filming episodic television, it's filmed out of sequence. Absolutely. Yeah. It's filmed out of order. So the poor kids, you know, one day they're in the classroom and then that night they're going to do something that's at the end of the episode. And he had to link it all together. And I always respected the way that Ron worked with these kids. And uh, one of the kids uh, that was, um, he was especially good with was um, from Say Cheese and Die. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan, Gosling. Had, uh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan mm-hmm. Gosling. And I don't know why I remember this. But I do remember so well being involved because the nice thing about a prop man is we have a little thing that we're holding ready to have the actor. The actor doesn't hold on to everything all the time. That's your job. So I would sit there. He doesn't have to know what he needs for the scene. That's my job. So I'd have a little uh, I'd be standing by with, you know, whatever you need for that scene, maybe the camera and uh, something else. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, Ron came up to Ryan and he said, um, I want you to keep your chin high i want you to um, have your shoulders back you are the hero in this you know you're going to do some miraculous heroic things and you have to look that part so just make sure you look like a hero keep your keep your, sh- yeah. your head up and your shoulders back and to tell a kid who's probably i don't know 13 uh, that it, i certainly remember that and um I wonder if if Ryan sort of took those words with him saying, because I saw him play Neil Armstrong, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the first guy in the moon and stuff. And he, uh, you know, some of, the, some of these kids really stood out because it wasn't just him. There's a couple more that actually went on to be, um, I'm trying to think of the kid's name that went on to be in Star Wars. Um, he was oh, yeah. um, um, uh, Ryan Christensen, right? Hayden Christensen. Yeah, he was in uh, Night of Living Dummy 3. Yep. Yep, he uh, he again, like he, yeah, you could see some of these kids <clears throat> that they were special, uh, mm-hmm. and they were going to be sort of something someday. And and as I say, uh, Gosling, you know, stood out. I think a bit that way. He wasn't 
Like you look at that episode and you go, this kid can act. Whereas some of the other kids, mm-hmm. you go, ooh, <laughs> uh, wince, <laughs> but so it's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, some people like that sort of stuff actually, where there's, there's a bit of naivety going on with the uh, the acting, but that's okay. It's nice because we did do all of Are You Afraid of the Dark first. So Ron Oliver was a part of that and we interviewed him. I think we were into like season six or seven when we did the interview with him. So we had gotten done with all the episodes he did. And then we were looking forward to Goosebumps. So we talked to him a little bit about that too. But one of the coolest things is just seeing those kids because Are You Afraid of the Dark was from like 91 to 95 for the first run of it. And then to see the kids grow up a little bit more because a lot of the actors are the same and just seeing what they did you know, between that, how they grew up and then to see what they've done after that is just so, it's so much fun, you know, to see all these kids blossom. And well, I mean, some of that them didn't, true. and that's definitely that's cool right. too. And that, that, That's fine too. I, I can totally uh, respect that. I like, I would say the, the two girls from Haunted Mask, mm-hmm. Catherine Long, Catherine Short, one of them kept acting and one mm-hmm. of them didn't. She went on to do something else and I, she was a yeah. smart kid. I think she, she went and got a degree and something. It's like, you know, you don't have to be a child actor it's a dangerous path to go down you know the, yeah, is. the convergence from child actor to being an adult actor it can be very a bad experience i mean my son um he was in a few episodes of goosebump just uh How was he as background just as background gotcha and um you know i never really wanted to be an actor i just didn't think that you know there's so much of a chance that nothing will happen with your career or you'll have a couple of good years you know and so um yeah, there was. There came a point he had to decide, and he decided to be a camera guy instead. So now my That's son's cool. a steady cam operator. That's and, awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, and he he he's got some memories of Goosebumps for sure. Um, he came and visited one day when we were filming Vampire Blood, and in that particular one, there was a lot of coffins mm-hmm. they had gotten uh, for this the coffin coffin cavern or something like that. And uh, he took one look at that vampire. Oh, and he was just a little guy. And he's like, I don't want to get any close to that guy at all. <laughs> and uh, but I think my my best story involving my son is on uh, Welcome to Horrorland. Mm, I haven't seen that one just yet. Um, <clears> the horrors, spoil, the, I don't mind. <laughs> the, well, the the horrors are guys in suits again. They sort of have horns and stuff. And. One of them, the guy, he's wearing a striped shirt, is Ron Stefanik, who created suits. So I think it's kind of funny that he actually wore it for that one. But um, very rarely, we always work Monday to Friday on Goosebumps, but I was asked to do a sixth sixth day one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went in on a Saturday and it was to do promos for uh, Goosebumps, Welcome to Horrorland. Anyway, so... My wife, she had a little one, you know, two-year-old. So I was like, Nigel, you come to set with me tomorrow. We're going to go and we'll work on the Goosebumps thing. And he was hanging around. Anyway, the director of this promo comes up to me and goes, you brought your son here. We've got this great idea for a bit. Do you think your son would like to do that? It'll be on TV next week. So literally in a week from now, it's going to be on. That's how quick the turnaround was. And I went up to Nigel and I said, Nigel, would you like to be on television in front of millions of kids? We're going to film it today and it'll be on next Saturday. You'll be able to watch it. And he was probably seven. So he was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'm like, great. This is so fantastic. And then Ron Stefanik comes in unannounced in the full Horrorland horned monster thing. And what does he do? 
he walks right over to Nigel and he picks him up and throws him over his shoulder and puts him down. And you know what happened? Nigel said, laugh. I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, no, Nigel, you're going to be on television. No matter what I said to him, he refused to do it. And that bit was gone. And uh, that was a real shame too, because that would have been pretty neat to have seen that, to have seen that. But um on a separate um, story, and this is how big Goosebumps was. When um, A Night in Terror Tower premiered on television, I happened to be visiting some friends who were down in California. Mm-hmm. And um, and Nigel, again, he's, he's, both my kids were quite small, but we get a call. Well, the people we were staying with, they didn't have a television. Uh, they didn't believe in television. But some neighborhood kids came around and said, you want to watch Goosebumps tonight? It's going to be Terror Tower. Is on. Yeah. And that's just like an hour special. And they, they put a lot of money into that one, too. For mm-hmm. that particular one, um, that was done between seasons one and two, I believe. And they literally just called us back to do just that one-hour special. And then we we went down again. Um, so that was kind of unique. Uh, it was filmed in Toronto at the Casa Loma, which is a real castle in Toronto. Oh, I was going to ask uh, if you had to go to England for it or not. Yeah, uh, we had a, you know, we've got a, we got a double decker bus and we got the costumes and everything. Wow. It was all filmed in Toronto. Uh, so that night, 22 million households tuned in to watch that. Wow, that's a lot. I've looked it up and the, the highest, because uh, you have to remember, like, it wasn't such a fractured audience back then. There was not a lot of, you know, there's no pay per view. There's uh, cable was just sort of starting out. Mm-hmm. So, that's huge numbers. And uh, the Haunted Mask had, again, if you look it up, 24, 25 million, I'm not sure if it's households or people tuning in, but this is, these are massive numbers. And that's when I realized that this Goosebumps thing, which I'd only been on for a few months, was going to be huge. And it was. Yeah. We eventually, um, the Mutant Ninja Turtles, teenage ones, mm-hmm. that, we, we, we blew them away. We, we got higher <laughs> ratings than them. Uh, I'm not sure how we competed with uh, Erie, Indiana, and uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'm not sure how the numbers were with that, but uh, we were promoted heavily too, and I think it was on Fox. So I mean, they they pushed the heck out of that. Yeah, so, yeah it was it was one of these things where um, you don't realize it, but you know, this is a huge show that the people are talking about, and uh, and they're watching it in huge numbers. So um, yeah, that's why kids kind of seek me out now. You know, like I. I my Twitter um, <laughs> handle. Some kids have found me out there. They found me on Facebook, and they yeah. want to know all these stories. I, I don't mind telling them. The only problem is that I work, I work <laughs> in the business, so it's really yeah. hard to do the hours I do. And then you come in, and there's all these you know, questions waiting for you. And I, as I say, I don't mind. And I, I like doing the podcasts. I've done a few of them now because, I mean, you're kind of the the exception. A lot of these the kids I'm speaking to, they're like, in a way reading all these books that's what made me want to get a degree and that's what made me so into reading and and i think a lot of it has to do with that and and a lot of these kids actually they're more into the books than they are into the the television series and unfortunately i haven't read the books Um, (laughs) it's okay me neither there's a bit of a a problem there but um anyway i thought you know i know we're starting to run a little low on time i thought i would go into shocker on chalk street because you you watched it recently and i watched it this morning so shocker on chalk street um first of all, was filmed on Centre Island in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. 
if you look at a map of Toronto, there's the city, there's Lake Ontario at the bottom, and we have a little group of islands that are just offshore from uh, the, the waterfront, and they're not attached to land in any way, so you have to take a ferry across um, and or a barge. And so they, on Centre Island, there's a little sort of amusement park called Centerville, and mm -hmm. Centerville has that ride there. Uh, it's a scary ride. Um, okay. And... Uh, I believe it's called the Haunted Barrel Works. Um, anyway, so if anybody's ever in Toronto and they want to sort of have a similar experience to Shocker on Shock Street, I definitely re recommend that they go to Centerville. Very interesting. Um, I totally assumed it was just built for the episode. That's cool. Yeah, well, it starts out... See, Goosebumps was filmed at a, a former brewery in Toronto, Molson's Brewery. Everybody thinks of beer in Canada, they think of Molson's. Uh, so right down in downtown Toronto, they had a former brewery that they converted to uh, a few uh, sound stages. And we were up on the sixth floor. Um, and so uh, the scenes where they're walking around and they're looking at the masks uh, and the dad has a remote control and yes. all that sort of stuff yeah. for the dummies. That was filmed in our um, studio. And if you look really closely, we start to chain link fence. You can actually see this kind of like cement pylons because don't forget it was converted factory. And so we used that a lot of the times <laughs> where if kids were sort of running down somewhere, we would just film it in our studio. Um, and one last thing about that studio, oddly enough, I worked there as a summer student at the brewery <laughs> from 1979 to 19, eh, maybe 84. So um, I then came back and worked there another five years on Goosebumps. So I spent a lot of time That's in that awesome. building and it's been demolished now. It's all gone. Oh. Okay, um, okay. And it's condominiums. However, as I say, let's go back to uh, Centerville. Yes, yeah, Centerville, Centerville is still there. And so all the, the scenes on the ride, uh, for example, they get in the car. That's a real car uh, that's still there. Um, and they go through different uh, sections. The only one that really still remains is the entranceway where they get on the car. That's the same. Mm -hmm. And there's a little scene where they're going down the sort of never-ending tunnel. It's got a bunch of green kind of rectangular um, arches that, that go back into infinity. That's still a part of that ride too. Uh, the rest of it is not there. Like there's no flames that almost oh, sear the good. kids to death. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, there's no electrocution chamber and stuff. But the way we, that worked was that we actually, there was a guy who was in charge of controlling it and he would basically say, okay, you know, we're gonna start up the ride now. And then we'd get those shots and start disappearing into different areas. We attached that skull on the front of it, but um, oddly enough, I, I'm, I'm not that it interests people. I didn't keep much in terms of graphics, but on that episode, I kept the green, sort of the red blood that was drooling down the back of the ride. I yeah. kept that, and I have it attached to a cart, which I could show you a picture of. And also, I have <laughs> a, I have a poster of Shocker uh, Studios. I have um, I have that as well on one of my carts. I just stuck it aside, and it's still there thirty years later. Whatever it is. <laughs> Um, that's awesome and yeah and, that, and then they go up on the main drag area where they say oh look we're on shocker street now that was filmed right on uh, center island in toronto and that would be the same uh as it is now basically it, not, not much will have changed uh, in that's terms cool. of that area there all those years later i guess two last stories about that was that mm -hmm. um, i was told that my truck i, don't, I owned a five-ton truck at the time the, the props truck and i had to go on a barge and they had to drive on this barge. And, and anyway, everybody was really worried about this move because <laughs> it was choppy water. You've got these trucks that have everything you need. And I was told that when my truck drove onto the barge, it almost drove off the end. 
Oh my god! So close. Uh, the guy told me, "Like, oh yeah, that guy. We, we didn't we didn't let him drive anymore on the barge after that first one because we thought he was going <laughs> off the end." Um, and um, yeah, that was that's kind of a, a neat story. And I guess the other neat thing about that episode was that the sound guy. There's one building there where they're they're opening different doors, going, "Oh, uh, maybe we can get through from here." One of those was an ice cream parlor, and the sound guy, who I won't say his name, but he had actually come up to the people that ran that parlor and said, would you mind if I switched off the electricity just while we're filming that scene? Because I can't have all those freezers going off. And uh, they did that, and he forgot to switch them back oh, on no. again. And so he ruined all the ice all cream, the ice cream. In that store. And it was full of ice cream, like cases <laughs> and cases. It was all ruined. And uh, I remember I spoke to him. I said, like, well, how did you make that mistake? He said, oh, I'll never make it again. He said, whenever I do that, now I tape a big sign to, you know, my sound device saying, you know, remember to turn this back on. But they were not happy with us. <laughs> well, uh, I would love to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell me, um, if you don't mind, you know, what kind of wrapping up here, what other things have you been working on? Like, is there anything, anything like recent that you'd like to promote or anything like that? Uh, sure. Well, you know, um, I, you know, I don't really have to promote anything. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have been a prop master uh, in the film industry for oh, 37, 38 years. So including the time I spent going to film school, I've been doing this for over 40 years. Uh, I actually, how I get in this business was um, I didn't know what I wanted to do really in terms of um, like props is an interesting area you go into. I didn't plan on going there. Yeah. But what I did do was I did a lot of um, hunting and uh, I did a lot of work with uh, firearms when I was a young lad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I probably had a shotgun in my hand. I used to go to New Brunswick in the summertime uh, with my grandpa and uh, did some hunting there. And little did I know that Canadians aren't like Americans. We're not really big into guns. People, most Canadians don't own a gun. It's not part of our Second Amendment rights to have guns. So most people don't have guns here. But little did I know I had all the training because my grandfather who taught me how to shot, shoot he was in world war one and he knew everything so, about guns so he trained me to um anyway to make a long story short uh when i got out of film school i started deciding what i wanted to do and it's like well we need a guy well does anybody know anything about guns does anybody know anything about you know food preparations does anybody know anything about you know musical instruments and it happened to be that i knew about all those things so it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that I should become a prop master. So awesome. the first show I ever was an actual prop master on the guy. Um, he said to me, um, I'm looking for a guy, but he's got to have his license, his gun license. I said, well, I've got my license. I don't know much about being a prop master. He said, show me your gun license and you've got the job. And I literally came in and said, show me the card. And I opened up my wallet and I showed him this was called the possession acquisition license. I showed it to them. And he said, you're hired. <laughs> and uh, it was weird, but you know, the things that that was another a show where they'd been a previous prop master the previous year and, and they had made mistakes. And so um, they wanted me to do it because uh, they wanted, above all, there'd be safety with the gun. So that's how I started. Yeah. But they had a, a buyer and they had people who worked on the set. So, um, and that's how I got into it. So after I did Goosebumps, um, I did a lot of things. I actually wanted to do movies. <laughs> so I had a short spell where I was a prop master on movies. I'm probably most famous for having done um, my big fat Greek wedding, the original yes, one. I did see that. So anyway. yeah. I was a prop master on that. Um, I also worked with one of Canada's more famous directors, a gentleman named Adam McGoyan. Um, I, I've worked with him a couple of times, but I worked as a, the head of the department in the props department on a movie called Ararat, 
and feature films is way harder than television series. So after that, I've continued to do work um, as a props master on feature films, but in second units a lot of the time. So uh, the movie It with the Scary Clown, it was mm-hmm. right up my alley. Mm-hmm. I worked as a props buyer on that. Uh, and I did um, a lot of work um, on the second unit with the kids cycling around in the, the small town there, Derry, Maine. Yeah. Um, I, I worked on, so I, I, I still work a lot. Uh, I worked on a feature film last summer um, called 13 The Musical. It's going to be on Netflix. And awesome. right now I'm working on a television series called The Accused. Um, and it's an anthology series. It's about, uh, I guess, famous cases to try. They sort of show the details of them and then they show the trials on them so yeah i still work i'm planning on retiring i'm in my 60s now mm-hmm. um but you know i'm still fairly sharp um uh as long as i'm healthy and unable to keep doing it I, i'd like to keep doing it for another couple of years then i'd like to retire and uh for sure i know the yeah. things to do that's awesome well yeah. i gotta say alan thank you so much for joining me today i mean seriously this is one of the coolest parts about doing these shows i mean brandon and i started this up and we're like yeah for as long as we're having fun you know and then we ended up uh getting a couple of people on cast and crew from are you afraid of the dark and now goosebumps and it's been it's been wonderful hearing the stories not only that you've short shared with me but people on twitter share stories and memories all the time and i just love to to love to hear it and talk about it all the time i mean all I do is talk. <laughs> it's really great to hear the stories from other people. Well, you, you've been a great host, and thank you for uh, asking such uh, great questions, and, and thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, I'm going to let you go for here. You know, I'm getting my my work voice on here today. Bye. You want to say bye to Alan? Bye, Alan. Bye, bye. <laughs>